Dreamers don't have to be just members of an audience. They can write their own stories. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game On Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. And today we have a really dynamic interview for you with gamers, LARPers, and game industry professionals, Rabbit and Brandis. I wanted to, before we get started with the episode, just make sure we cover the basic terms associated with role-playing games, and in this case, with live-action role-playing games. So we refer in the interview to LARPing, um, which is L-A-R-P-I-N-G, which stands for live-action role-playing, which are events generally that people travel to and perform specific characters. There's a couple of other terms that are used in this interview. Uh, PC is used um, not to mean politically correct. (laughs) So please don't be confused about that. But PC in this context means player character, which is a character that's being played by an active person um, as a character that they've created. And NPC, which is non-playable character, which you may have heard us refer to in episode 52, our gaming basics where we talk about role-playing games. NPCs in LARPing are played by people, but are not characters that are of their own creation. So often when people are, you know, learning about role-playing, they'll be playing NPCs. So those are our terms for today, LARP, PC, and NPC. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Today we have the honor of speaking with married gamers and LARPers, Rabbit and Brandis. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, thank you. We're glad to have you. So we'll get started with our sort of basic intro stuff. Why don't you both give us a little bit of history about um, your background and your gaming history? Um, I've been playing tabletop games uh, since I was eight, and my dad uh, ran our first game of Dungeons and Dragons. I've been playing video games for about the same time, because it was that same year we got our uh, Nintendo console. I played PC games and console games ever since then, and done tabletop games when I could. Um, 2007 or 8, I started working at Icarus Studios as a QA tester, which uh, they were making an MMO called Fallen Earth. And I played some MMOs, a little bit of World of Warcraft at that point, and my roommate at the time was working for Funcom. Uh, testing Age of Conan. Brandis was also working at Icarus Studios as the uh, systems designer on Fallen Earth, and that is how we met. And uh, Brandis and my boss uh, got me into LARPing, playing a game called Kingsgate down in Georgia. And so I've been LARPing for uh, three, four years. Yeah, almost four years now, mostly on the plot side, because I was a non-player character in Kingsgate, and uh, now I mostly play, well, most of my time is taken up with LARPing, but I play consoles and tabletop and board games as well. When you were, um, when your dad and you played the tabletop games, was that um, an experience that just you and him shared, or was that a family event? Um, my little brother also. What about your background, Brandis? I started playing computer games somewhere around 1987 on Apple IIgs. I first got involved in tabletop games because I picked up a bunch of game books. Not the rule books, but choose-your-own-adventure books with rules attached. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. From those, I tried to figure out what the system actually was, rather uh-huh. than playing the books, because that hadn't occurred to me yet. I was, I think, 11. For my 12th birthday, um, I got the second edition Player's Handbook and DMG, not realizing you also had to have have a monster manual to get anywhere. (laughs) Around about October, I finally got a... uh, October of 1993, I got a copy of the monster manual, as far as tabletop games go, for the most part, the rest is history. I probably haven't gone more than six months, maybe a year at the outside, without a game I was actively running in that span of time. 
though it was sometimes not D&D that I was actively running. That's a lot of work. Yeah, that is a lot of commitment. It, it was. Um, it also did a lot to prepare me for running other kinds of games. I got started in LARPing in 1996, playing um, IFGS. Actually, yeah, 1996, playing IFGS, um, the International Fantasy Gaming Society. Um, some people that I was playing with, uh, well... I got involved in that through people I knew through school and friends of friends. Um, the friends I'd made there invited me to go try out other games and so on. And so I played um, Shattered Isles and Kingsgate and Eclipse. Many, many moons later, uh, started up uh, a game called Dust to Dust, which is the game that Rabbit and I run along with the rest of the game staff. And how long did you work at Icarus? I started at Icarus in 2006. I worked there until April of 2010. Uh, they had a round of layoffs that included uh, Rabbit and me. Um, I got another job at a company that uh, fell apart and was then unemployed for a while. And now I'm working at Icarus again. Um, I picked back up at Icarus in May of 2011 and have been there since. And what do you do there? I'm Right now I'm the uh, lead game designer. Cool. So, w- Rabbit, what was what was your attitude in general about LARPing before uh, Brandis introduced you to it? Well, I'm sitting there in the QA pod at Icarus and my boss, Jeremiah, is trying to get me to come play this game. And I'm like, Okay, alright, I'm a pretty big geek. I'm, like, about as geeky as they come. And this sounds a little bit like stepping over the geeky line. (laughs) (laughs) A a world of of lameness hitherto undiscovered on this planet. (laughs) And so he spends, like, three months trying to get me to come out. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do it next month. I'll do it next month. So finally I come out for one weekend and I'm monstering or NPCing. It's when you you're instead of uh, it's when you go out to volunteer and you get to play a variety of roles um, to entertain the PCs. So I go out, I play a whole bunch of monsters, I wind up beating up a bunch of people with foam weaponry and I am completely utterly hooked. Um, <laughs> did not actually take much in fact, to get me past the little bit of chic shyness that I had left <laughs> and embrace me wholeheartedly. Now, do you find that a lot of tabletop gamers are also LARPers? Are those communities tightly uh, tied together? The, the people that we know are uh, LARPers in large uh, percentage. That's how we got to know them. I, I think it's probably more true that a lot of the LARPers are also tabletop gamers. Yeah, yeah. That, that was going to be my question. Like, which one was the community that was feeding to the other? I know a lot more tabletop gamers or people who will just play tabletop games than ones who will just LARP and won't play tabletop games. I'm not really sure the direction, although I'm relatively sure that most of the LARPers were playing tabletop before they ever started LARPing. Uh, by, by vast majority... Uh, tabletop gaming is the gateway drug for LARPing, not the other way around. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. So what do you, what would you say are the biggest misconceptions about LARPers? I think there's a lot of idea that uh, everyone is out there in sort of pathetic-looking costuming and is a social reject. Mm. Or, you know, any of the other standard misconceptions about geeks. Just about every game out there has an image gallery on its website or has a website otherwise peppered with uh, images of people in costuming, making it abundantly clear that they've put a lot of time and energy into um, looking the part. Mm. And that really does a lot to balance the feeling of lameness, let's call it, of running around in the woods being people with plumbing supplies, once you get to, no, actually, we all look awesome. <laughs> well, and and um, 
And also the plumbing supplies thing, um, weapons look less and less like plumbing supplies and more and more like the weapon that they're supposed to be. Sure. Um, we still use uh, foam weapons over, not even over PVC cores anymore, mostly over kite spar cores. Uh, and a lot of games use latex weapons, which, you know, some of them you have to get up close to them to realize that they're buffer weapons and not the real deal. Uh, our games generally don't use a lot of latex weapons for safety reasons and because the foam weapons that we have look so incredibly good that there's not much of a reason to. Also, our people are exploring um, lighting the weapons with LEDs uh, and wow. other in solutions so the weapon actually glows. Nice. It's hard to beat that for looking super cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as the technology changes, the costumes change, so I guess that all makes sense. Yep. So so what is it as dedicated LARPers, you know, Rabbit mentioned this, you know, the hesitation toward sort of crossing some geeky line. What do you think it is about LARPing or about sort of the misconceptions? What are the misconceptions that people have? I mean, you uh, mentioned, you know, people being socially awkward, etc. What do you think it is about it? about LARPing that makes it that line that people are sort of afraid to cross or concerned about crossing? Well, it's being in costume in public. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And being in-game in public. Yeah. It's pretty much the whole, oh, wait a minute, you mean I'm going to go out? And here's another thing. Our games are mostly in state parks, but for other people, you know, it could be some guy's backyard or some local park. Right. And I'm going to pretend to be somebody else in a weird-looking costume in public. Right. Right. That's a non-starter for a lot of people. And I don't blame them, really. Uh, it's just that once you have the seclusion of a state park um, and everyone around you is doing the same thing, being out of costume is now what's weird. <laughs> right, sort of you cross over that line there. And there's um, there's groups with varying degrees of commitment mm-hmm. to how in play is is enough and how in play is too in play. Right, yeah, How where the lines are sort of within the community itself. But there are some groups that are all about total immersion role-playing. We're not one of them. Um, uh, and there are some groups that are about, you know, above all things, stay safe. Right, right. Well, like so many other things, it's the mix of gamism and narrativism and simulationism. Right. Well, it's interesting because we talk about, in terms of video games, one of the highest compliments people will give a game is, oh, you know, I just played for three hours and it felt like half an hour, you know, because the immersion experience was so great. So I think it's kind of interesting to think about people having these hesitations to what would be a true immersive experience, a, a true immersive in your physical life experience rather than a virtual life. So I, well, I think it's kind of interesting. There's a couple of other, you know, physical barriers as in for a PC, you are potentially, dri- we drive like five hours to get to work. Mm-hmm. So you're potentially driving a long way to stay in a cabin in the woods. Right. Um, and not in a creepy horror movie kind of way, we hope. <laughs> in a summer camp kind of way. Yeah. yeah. And you're, and you're um, paying. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to point out that um, one of the Jason movies was filmed on one of our sites. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, I have never been so glad I'm in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) But yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're essentially camping. Right. Um, So if you, you know, are like, oh my God, I have to be actually out in the woods, there's that. Mm. Um, It's very, it's very physical. Uh, It's actually sort of weird because people have the geek image of overweight and out of shape, which... It's not that there aren't overweight LARPers. It's not that there aren't out-of-shape LARPers. It's that it is a very, very physically demanding thing, and it involves a lot of physical fighting and being active. Actually, I know a lot of people who have gotten in shape because they were LARPing all the time. <laughs> and Interesting. And it is that physically demanding. So there's... Um, well, and also, if you're playing a game, it it costs money to play. Right. Um, because they have to pay to rent the site and everything and have food and all kinds of stuff like that. Right. So uh, our game is also not one of the cheaper ones. It's uh, uh, 60 bucks a weekend if you prepay for a PC and 8 bucks for Feast. So on top of gas money for driving and all that stuff, it 
is not an inexpensive hobby. Yeah. Oh, and costuming. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. You have to pay yeah. for your costume and your weapons as well. So that just continues. And if you want to look, you know, nice, you know, costumes can get very expensive very quickly. If you look at the prices at a Renaissance Fair yeah. and gone, yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, it's a huge outlook for people who want to do crafty things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. 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 We have a ton of people who spend time making masks out of leather, binding books, uh, sewing costumes. Creating calligraphy. Yeah. Hmm. I learned uh, manuscript elimination to um, uh, enhance our game. Hmm. Cool. That's something I've always wanted to do, Rabbit. You and I are going to have to talk. <laughs> I, did a, I did a full illuminated manuscript for one of the text props for a game. Okay. You're going to have to have to get me pictures. We'll have to talk about that. <laughs> well, you guys have been involved in a lot of different types of games. Um, board games, tabletop games, console games. You've worked in the gaming community. It is there any particular environment that you think is more accepting or more respectful with um, gender differences than others? Uh, LARPing, actually, is at least our particular community of, of LARPers and our game in particular is um, they learned a really long time ago that in a LARP making it so that women couldn't do the same things men did um, wouldn't work and would be stupid and silly. <laughs> if, if you were creating a class, Nero has classes, but if you're creating a skill set that is, I'm a fighter and I hit things with swords or whatever, you can't really limit it by gender. And gender isn't going to play as big a role in who's a better fighter. Mm. It's, are you afraid of being hit? If yes, then you're not going to be as good of a fighter as the person standing next to you who's willing to go in and mix it up. Well, also, the bar for combat is based on touching someone with a sword, not knocking someone down with a sword. So, uh, a you know, small size and excellent agility is as good as or better than having a lot of arm strength. Mm. So is there a, it, has there ever been a community or a situation where, um, it, especially uh, Rabbit, where you feel like you were treated differently because you were a woman in that particular gaming environment? Or are there any situations, Brandis, where y you've heard guys act a little more uh, disrespectful than they should have? I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, even these people who are my friends are perfect. I do think that on the whole as a community they're good. I don't think there was anything that had to do with the game rather than just people hanging out, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. And I'm, not, I'm sorry, I apologize if that sounded like it was leading because I definitely don't, don't want to do that. Um, I'm, I, all I'm curious about is because we haven't talked to LARPers before, especially that um, you guys have said that that is a very respectful community usually what we find on the show the people we talk about it seems and we're still researching that the online community tends to be the ones that are the most disrespectful to women online oh sure well you combine anonymity with an audience right and i, I think it was a penny arcade uh, comment yeah that, that, that point yes um, <laughs> uh people no, people do bring their own, I guess, just basic default assumptions. So there are some things that you kind of have to spell out to, if, for example, calling someone weak and womanly isn't, would not be an insult in your world. You kind of have to tell people, hey, guys, um, this actually doesn't make any sense in context because there's no gender equality in the setting for example. Yeah. But, you know, people come with their own people come with their own assumptions. I, well, my Xbox avatar, for example, is male. Um, just because when I was giving the console a name, it had, I, it was m matching something else, so I wound up with the male one. So, I wind up not having any, like, uncomfortable messages or emails or anything like that. 
in the rare times that I play a multiplayer game. And occasionally I play like TF2 or I'll play um, Bioshock 2 multiplayer. And I always keep the sound off so I don't have to deal with any of that. Right. Because I've heard... I've heard enough horror stories. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of women gamers, female gamers, who will just completely avoid the environment entirely. Yeah, I've seen the website. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think that you could possibly have a better attitude going into gaming, though, than you two have got. I mean, it <clears throat> you, you think respectfully of other people, and you assume um, respectful behavior from others unless, you know, that they show themselves and so that's I mean you can't ask for a better gamer than that there's one other thing I wanted to say about the LARP community sure I recalled from um, when I was just getting started um, there was a phrase that was sort of dropped in casual conversation uh, chick plot in terms of the plot committee is more than normally female uh, you know more than one or two members that would start to get called chick plot. Mm-hmm. This was great. It meant that the plot was going to have a lot more uh, engaging emotion than what people were used to at that time. Mm. Instead of just being combat after combat, right. there was going to be a lot more nuance. And it wasn't 100% female committee, by any stretch of the imagination. It was just a balanced committee. Mm. And that was widely recognized as better than what had come before. Mm. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's really... The other, the other thing I would point out about LARPing is um, when, you are, when you're going in and playing your character, for example, in tabletop and things, um, I have been known to play a male character about as often as I play a female character. When I'm LARPing, I generally play female characters because I would have to spend a lot of time creating the illusion of being a male character that, especially on plot, I just don't have. Mm-hmm. Make myself... You know, to make people see me and then go, oh, that's a guy. Right. People are actually going to look at me and go, that's somebody female. Um, that said, I know at least three transsexuals who have played uh, Arlar, and they're perfectly accepted as whatever gender they present. Players who go, oh, okay, you're actually female or you're actually male. They just kind of accept that, roll with it. It's not an issue or a problem or a difficulty at all. Well, that's interesting. As I, w- I was actually going to ask about that, like specifically about how, how many or how often people in the LARP would, you know, one, one of the chapters of my dissertation was about cyber drag and about people playing in digital formats, you know, avatars that didn't match their offline gender and so I was wondering if that happened so I'm really I'm really glad you brought that up and it's really interesting to you know think about how much more commitment it would take to do that in a LARPing situation than it would when you just click male or female gender in a in a game typically a player may have to be told you know about once oh no no that's a male character and then everyone adapts it and um for, for that reason, another thing that you don't really get in at least the LARPs I've played is you don't get comedy drag. You don't you don't get people, um, like you don't get guys going, oh, I'm a woman for for the lols. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It has been done, just yeah. to be fair. Yeah, but it, it was a while back. Yeah. It has been done, but you get that a lot less. Um, but it's sort of lumped in a category with there are other things that you that you don't do like a PC doesn't dress up as a uh, NPC monster race to fool the monsters because well that would be confusing as to wait a minute are they actually a monster right now right you know in in monster costuming or are they their PC right for for similar reasons and also because we have a, a lot of uh, gay players. We have a lot of transsexual players, and you know, I happen to think that by percentage three is a lot. People are kind of mindful of that and try to be respectful towards it and not, I don't know, treat it like a big joke. That's awesome. Well, since you guys have have brought up the um, the characters, um, one of the main things out of Regina's work is trying to understand how people develop their characters and I don't know I don't I know very very little about 
how you create characters for tabletop. I know even less if they're at all different about what you do to create a character in a LARP and whether there are any differences. What is your experience, Regina? Do you know much about that? Uh, I know a little bit about it in terms of uh, tabletop role-playing games because I I have rolled a couple of characters and just haven't actually managed to get anybody together to play the games that we're supposed to be playing. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I've done a little bit of that, so I know a little bit about what goes into to like what's and here's a funny story about that you know for years i had been saying roll a character when i was talking about you know my world of warcraft avatars or dungeons and dragons online and i had never really understood where the term roll a character comes from until i actually did it for a pen and paper role playing <laughs> game and realized that you know your stats are all based <laughs> off rolling dice <laughs> So I, I learned that one that way. <laughs> so are there big differences between uh, uh, creating or choosing a character? Between LARPing and tabletop gaming? Yes, I'm sorry. I guess the the main big difference is that there are no random factors in creating a character for really any LARP I think I've seen. Really? Uh, randomizing factors aren't seen as useful. Hmm. In general... LARPs, this is not universally true. Let me be super clear. Uh, I, I can think of counterexamples off the top of my head. But the majority of LARP systems I've seen don't have ability scores. There's no there's no strength score, dexterity score, whatever, because you, you have what you are. If you're actually fast, they're not going to have you check for dexterity. You're just going to play it. Oh, Okay. So, and so you might have additional kinds of toughness in the game, but that doesn't carry the same uh, conceptual weight as having a high constitution score. Mm. Yeah, you don't. Um, most tabletop games, a huge part of character creation goes into making your stats fit the combat resolution system. When the combat resolution system is, I actually physically try to hit you with a weapon, really need scores to check to see if combat is successful. Combat is either successful or it isn't. Right. Now, okay. The rules are going to tell you things like how much damage you do, whether you might be able to negate a hit, an incoming hit or something like that. Those just aren't parsed as ability scores. They're parsed as abilities that you, you can buy throughout the course of the game. Any other statements I make I might make in a general way are again going to be uh, things that there are counterexamples to all over the place. There are th- there are systems where characters don't have classes, such as the game that uh, we run. There are systems where characters do have classes. Uh, there are systems where characters do have ability scores, and so on. And then there are sort of uh, hybrid systems of uh, uh, with things called headers that are like classes, except not, and you can buy more later on. It's a lot more multifaceted than I thought, but it's it, purely out of ignorance. But oh, it, it's multi... In, in Dust to Dust, for example, you start with a starting build total, and you can buy um, combat abilities, you can buy lore abilities, uh, you, can, you can buy magical talents, um, and other things like that. And you have a certain amount of money for starting equipment. And then you write up a backstory or a character history, which has to be submitted to the plot committee. And we approve it or we ask you to change stuff. And every event, you get a certain amount of additional character points that you can spend on new abilities. Um, some abilities you can only buy at creation. Some abilities you can buy later on in the campaign but they just cost a little more, and some abilities you can buy at any time. Some abilities get unlocked through play. Like, uh, you can start with a certain number of lures, but later in the game, you have to either find a teacher or do research in order to purchase a new lore. Well, let's talk about a little more in a little more detail. Tell me about um, one of your... Um, favorite characters and how you came about developing that character and and what was your process i i guess i'll bring up uh, the character that i'm still playing in the game where i'm a pc um in the eclipse campaign which also runs in georgia and is uh run by the same company that helps us run dust to dust 
Uh, I play a character named Finder. Um, my process in creating this character was, well, there are cybernetics in Eclipse, because Eclipse is a science fiction LARP. So I think cybernetics are cool, because I think transhumanism is cool. And I had not played a particularly shady or rogue-like character uh, as a LARP character ever. And so I set out to see how I did at it. I just wanted to, you know, sort of stretch my own skills and try something new. I created a character who had initially pretty minimal fighting skills and just sort of a, a weird bag of tricks set of skills. And he's kind of grown from there into one of the more skilled assassins and spies in the game. I, I kind of started off with someone who was prepared to play um, mafia in space and wound up being <laughs> Nice. Oh, awesome. <laughs> what about you, Rabbit? Um, I've only actually ever PC'd one game long term. Um, I played a couple of uh, vampire characters at a con LARPs, but those were characters that were written for me, and those were interesting. Uh, <laughs> the, char- the character I play now is also in Eclipse. Um, the company that runs it is called Rule of Three Productions, inc- yeah. uh, incidentally. We, we should totally, you know... Uh, yeah. So plug in them plug because them. It's, oh totally yeah. go for it because, yeah because they're awesome um, <laughs> so uh, actually my process was very similar I was uh, Brandis had been playing for a couple of years and I decided I wanted to actually PC a game one of the uh, they had a warrior order called Makeda which was essentially a samurai you play with a long sword and an armored fist. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. So I have this character, Harper. Um, They also have psionics. And uh, as Brandis will tell you, I am kind of nuts for psionics. I love Shadowrun. (laughs) uh, uh, Freaking psyops on the PS2. Um, Pretty much any game that has a psionic component. Oh, Dark Sun. I'm going to be into. So I'm like, oh, metabolic. I haven't seen a metabolic thing, so I'll be a metabolic. And I'll be a Makeda, and I didn't realize that um, this was apparently the power gamer option. <laughs> I, because, uh, because it turns out that at Intermediate, Makeda are immune to psionic effects. Um, of a certain of, of, Well, most psionic effects, yeah. Not, not important. Not, not important here. Um, <laughs> but I, but I, also, I also had never played a Paladin before, and... Um, Harper is as close as I can get to playing a paladin. I, I have some preconceived notions about paladins as characters that have to do with a lot of the way they've been presented or played when I've seen them. Um, they've kind of been unrepentant douchebags. <laughs> and if they like to lord it over everyone else that they are so shiny. Oh my goodness, they are so shiny. Lawful good. And Francis was like, not all paladins are like that. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> We'll, we'll see how this goes. As as a result, I mostly hope Harper is in the douchebag when I play her. <laughs> kind of well, she she's a samurai, so that means she's a legitimized psychopathic murderer. But, uh, That's but true. That's true. Yep. Through a number of through a number of uh, of plot weirdnesses, she somehow wound up with them. Um, Crazy Time Lord powers and also a ginormous spear. Mm. Oh, fancy. Works for abilities. So, yeah, the, the spear is seriously almost nine feet long. It's, they had to create the, the prop so that it could break down. Otherwise, they couldn't get it to sight. Yeah, it's it's not really oh, wow. a, a weapon. It's kind of horribly unsafe. But it's, it's also. It's, it's super cool. It's, it's super cool. <laughs> And it's actually really a lot of fun to fight with. So <laughs> I hadn't expected it to be that much fun to fight with, but uh, it's, but it really is. That's great fun. Uh, oh, her her other thing is that she's an accountant, so she winds up helping his spy master character a lot, running shady corporations. Um, accountant and samurai is a really yeah, interesting like, combination. <laughs> the great thing about uh, classless systems you wind up with combinations that would just right. never occur to the original game designer mm-hmm. as 
something they should really set into motion. Right. But since you can just sort of wind up anywhere, uh, all kinds of odd things happen. We have a guy at Dust to Dust who, um, his character's main thing was a uh, profession sheep herder. <laughs> so, so he, you know, he, he kept, actually had more than one of those. Yeah. <laughs> he, he kept spinning his uh, between game actions to build up his sheep farm. So at the last event, we had a whole battle that was centered around trolls come and try to steal Eamon's sheep. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And, and we actually, um, the other guy on our committee. Uh, well, one of the other guys. One, of, one of the other, one of the other, what I meant was the other director. Yeah, my co-director. Um, made these boffer sheep so that we could have combat save sheep to move around. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it was completely ridiculous, but it was also super awesome. And, and fun. And everyone seemed to really, really love that battle. And um, Eamon's player was very, very happy that we sort of embraced and supported his concepts. We're like, sheep? Well, okay, we weren't planning for sheep, but sheep, there will be sheep. <laughs> cool. One of the golden questions that we always ask everybody, and we've sat and talked about gaming a bit, but how would you define a gamer? Who who, or what is a gamer? A gamer is it anyone who wants to be. It's sort of the ultimate opt-in group, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice what way to put it. If you call yourself a gamer, well, I guess you're a gamer. Cool. Also, since I'm a professional game designer, I would like it to be 100% of the populace. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> it's sort of, wait a minute, is this a marketing question, or is this a more nebulous than that? Oh, um, definitely more nebulous. <laughs> As it's one of those distinctions that, well, it has it has a lot of value as a marketing question and as much as marketing questions ever have value. <laughs> well, it was also followed up in the original study with what does it mean to be a gamer? So if that gives it more of a, a nebulous uh, depth for you. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of go for someone who plays games, that's most of what they do, or that's one of their, you know, primary things they get pleasure out of. Mm -hmm. It's not very different to me, like, I'm a film buff, or I'm a reader, or... You know, I'll say that, as a counterexample, someone who only plays games when, uh, you know, their, their child or niece or nephew or whatever harasses them into taking down that dusty old copy of Monopoly... <laughs> And then they uh, get about halfway through a game of Monopoly and realize that Monopoly is not a real game and put um, <laughs> away for uh, the next uh, 16 years. Maybe that is not a real game. <laughs> I, I would also say that such a person would probably not self-identify as a gamer. No, they would not. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I was actually at my, um, my local uh, tabletop game store uh, for Tabletop Day on, on March 30th. And they have a used section of games with, you know, whatever varied selection. And they had a Planet Earth version of Monopoly. And we had pulled it out and we're looking through it and just kind of taking a look at the board and how the gameplay was sort of modified to be, you know, Planet Earth version. And one of the people who works at the store walked over and, you know, knew my tendency toward, you know, like European strategy games and looked at me like, were you just looking at Monopoly? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, bashfully said, yes, I was, but I wasn't, you know, considering buying it. I just wanted to see, you know, how they had made this version work. And uh, he's like, wow, because Monopoly, not not a game I would see you playing. And I'm like, no, I played that growing up a lot, and there were a lot of fights around it, so I tend to definitely avoid Monopoly. Like like playing Risk, it's a good way to not like any of the people that you started the game with. Exactly. Well, and also, if Monopoly is what you think board gaming is, then mm -hmm. you're never going to like board games, because <laughs> it stops being actually fun by the time you're around eight, I think. Unless you're a, a hardcore Monopoly player, and I know that those exist because it's the internet, and every for every conceivable thing, there's a hardcore version of it. Yeah. Uh, the championship somewhere, um, you know, in upstate New York or something. So, there's that. Mm-hmm. Still, 
the communist version of Monopoly that was purportedly the original one. Right. Well, the, one of the um, the things that Regina was able to identify in her dissertation were some different gamer types. And we've been listening to you guys talk about gaming and, and your LARPing and everything. Regina, what do you think that um, Rabbit's type is? I hear a good chunk of self-gamer uh, very closely followed up by some role play. Yeah. That would be my, my summation. And what about Brandis? Brandis, I I think, would fall in, like, Mark's category of a little bit of all three. Because I had definitely mm. heard some mastery in there. There was a little yeah. mastery going on, so... Um, but a, but a good chunk of self and role play as well, I think. Did you guys get a chance to look at the uh, the different types? We did. Yeah. And what did you think that you were? For my part, I would say that uh, in my sort of uh, pie chart, if you will, uh, mastery is the smallest of the three. Oh. It's, it's definitely there. <laughs> it's just I'm comparing myself to other friends of mine who uh-huh. are so much more dedicated to competitiveness and play, especially video games, so much more competitively than I do that uh, I sort of would not self-identify with that because I see what I get out of the games as being uh, different. This isn't, you know, judgment aside from maybe judgment myself. Um, But, you know, I, I do everything I can to be a good fighter and to be uh, clever in other character things. Um, and then, yes, I think self and uh, self-gaming and uh, role-playing are also a big part of it in about equal measure. What about you, Rabbit? In a very roundabout way, this is actually something I've been messing around with the post for my blog about because um, that's actually a very, very complicated question for me. <laughs> One, one, it depends on the for, on the format. If I'm playing a video game, I am not very likely to be a role player because the uh, the medium doesn't make sense for it. I, I would say that by sort of preference and inclination, maybe best rabbit is primarily a role player, a little bit of self because. I'm usually doing it to play a character. I'm not really interested in translating myself onto a screen or onto a board or into anything else. I'm, I like doing it to play something that isn't exactly me or um, is something that isn't necessarily a thing that I do. That said, if I wind up paying attention to the mechanics and paying attention to the build math, um, this is especially true in games like D&D 4th Edition or um, uh, the current, uh, we've been playtesting D&D 5th Ed a lot. Or, or any tabletop game where granular um, bonuses and things matter. Um, I care really a lot. Way too much, in fact. And if, and if the feed options are not good enough or aren't working out right, something surprising happens that couldn't have been solved for with build, I'll get irrationally angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so between the two of you, <laughs> so, who who would be the the the, um, the rules dictator? Rules dictator isn't exactly right, I think, to describe either of us. Um, we both talk about rules a lot because, well, he's a systems designer and um, I'm a tester. So... Uh, Discussing rules and balance and the way things should work to be balanced and fair is, uh, it's a conversation that we have really all the time. It is a conversation that once begun has not ended and I don't think will end for the uh, duration <laughs> of our... So I expect to be having this conversation for another 50 to 70 years. Or neither of us are likely to go well, that's what the rules say, so shut up. When I focus on mastery, I think I'm a very bad person. So, so like I said, I am probably at my best and am more pleasant to be around as a gamer when I am primarily a role-play gamer. Mm-hmm. I don't think self affects it, and mastery kind of affects it very negatively. Yeah, I, I actually think that knowing knowing the gamer types, I think, would be perhaps the most helpful for heavy mastery players. 
because their motivations are so, I don't want to say one-sided, but, but tend to be so focused that they don't understand that not everybody's approaching the game the same way that they are. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and so so I think it's really helpful for mastery players to sort of get the exposure to our gamer types because it does allow them that space to say, okay, not everybody's going to be like I am in this game, and maybe I need to kind of learn to understand that because between the types, I think the greatest conflict comes between self and mastery gamers because their motivations are polar opposites. Um, and, and really when they're trying to interact with each other, they don't have a common language. It, it depends if you're playing an interactive game mm-hmm. and we'll assume that we are for these purposes, it really depends on what the game is that's on the table or on the screen in front of you. I mean, when I'm playing Bioshock Infinite by myself, if I want to, you know, go, okay, I've decided that these are the best guns and these are the best other abilities. It doesn't really affect anything. Right, right. I, I could indulge in that as much as I want. When I'm sitting at a table with other people, or if I'm playing an MMO with uh, my team, mm-hmm. well, if we're raiding, it's very useful if we're all mastery players mm-hmm. or as many of us are mastery players as possible because what matters is the successful outcome of the raid. Right, right. If you've built a character to have strengths and weaknesses, well, you're going on a raid that's not really going to be useful. Right. You can't really roleplay your hits, so to speak. Um, but when you're sitting down at a table with a bunch of people, well, we might be playing a game with a primary focus, and what the DM is primarily focused on are throwing you into a lot of interesting combat situations where I really hope that you built to resolve these um, effectively because that's what we're going to be testing against. And... These combats are puzzles. I hope you can solve these puzzles. Right, exactly. Yeah. Rather than go and in and do as much damage as you possibly can to kill the boss. And, and for the, yeah, mm-hmm. and for those, the primary the primary interest is okay. How can I how can I tweak my character the next time I have I go up a level and can make build choices to be more effective in these combats or in this dungeon or doing the thing that is the combat trick or the skill challenge trick that I think I'm building my character to do. Right. Um, sometimes that's not the game that's on the table. The game on the table is you're in the world, interact with the world, and the world will react to you. Right. Or um, the DM is, I have the story I want to tell, move along to progress the story. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing especially if you're talking about role play, but it's valid in, in uh, video games too, to a certain extent, is not just determining, well, what kind of gamers are you interacting with, but what kind of game runners are you interacting mm-hmm. with? Yeah. Are you, are you working with a storyteller uh, who they have their vision and it's going to happen uh, no matter what? Are you playing with a world builder who is, hey, I built this world, go play in it. Um, or are you playing with a, uh, say puzzle maker? Puzzle maker, yeah. Or mm. who's like, okay, this is the combat sim portion, and here's the uh, lever of puzzles that you have to solve to get to the next piece of the dungeon, or you know, uh, or here I've laid out this skill challenge where you interact with this guy, but I'm gonna try to bake it into the rules as much as possible how to resolve this. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm always the bad guy. It's, we're we're running out of time, but I want to make sure that there aren't any other uh, questions or comments that uh, either Regina or Brandis or Rabbit have. Regina, did you have any questions for them? I don't think so. This has been such an intriguing and sort of, mm, I, I don't want to say, well, I do want to say, it's sort of deviant from the norm uh, conversation. I, I have a lot to kind of mull over from it, and I want to thank you guys for that, so... Yeah, Yeah, uh, you guys are a great addition to Mm -hmm. um, our gamer catalog. Actually, definitely. Thank you guys for uh, having us. Yeah, and make sure you get us links to what was what were the names again of the groups that you're that you're gaming with the LARPing groups that you game with. The the company is Rule of Three. Uh, The game we run is Dust to Dust. The game we play is Eclipse. Excellent. I'll be happy. Yeah, that would be great. If you can get links, that would be fantastic. We'll have those up with the blog post so everybody can take a look at it as well. Well, we really appreciate you guys, and uh, thanks for making a great show for us. Yeah, 
thanks for having us. Thank you very much. This is a lot of fun. Well, we can't thank Rabbit and Brandis enough for being on our show today. You can check out all the links that we talked about in the blog. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M. You can read my tech blog at drillonthefrog.com or email me, Rhonda, at gameongirl.com. The opening quote today was from Wired Magazine article by Jason Tans, November 2012, entitled Second Life, How a Video Game God Inspired a Twitter, Twitter Doppelganger and Resurrected His Own Career. And it was a great quote and perfectly appropriate for our LARPers. And I am your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as you can find me on Twitter and Steam. And many, many thanks to Rabbit and Brandis for coming on the show and talking to us about LARPing and being our first LARPers to come on the show. It was really fantastic to have them talk about what is a dynamic, engaging, and interesting uh, community that they're part of. And from what their interview talked about, a very accepting group of people. And I always love to hear stories like that involving gaming. So thanks to both of them for coming on the show. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. If you use a Windows phone, I've recently discovered through my friend Amy, we are also available on via Podcast Lounge. You can stream the most recent episode or buy the app for $1.99 and download them all. So if you're on a Windows phone, we, we've got you covered there too. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, gameongirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on! Game on!